Welcome to Meet the Church. This is a podcast from Providence Church in Austin, featuring a new person each week from our congregation. We're excited to discuss the work, interests, and testimonies of our church members to better get to know each other and to talk about experiences with God. I'm Tom Gibson, and this week I get to talk to David Adams about the great sport of steeplechase, his pursuit of a spot on the U.S. Olympic steeplechase team, and the love and acceptance of Jesus through it all. David Adams, welcome to the Meet the Church podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> In a nutshell, David, can you tell me what steeplechase is? So the steeplechase is a, a track race. Um, it actually has super old um, history. So it goes back to like England. I don't know when, but they would actually run church steeple to church steeple. Um, and so over the course of that race, they'd be jumping through creeks and over branches and things like that. So it's morphed into the current form uh, where you run it on the track. It's about two miles, uh, two miles long, just short of two miles. And you hurdle big steel barriers. And then once around the lap, you jump and uh, go over the barrier and land at a water pit on the other side. So it's it's one of the more exciting track events. Um, A lot of times you get people lined up uh, around the water picks. They really just want to see someone fall in. Um, so that's the steeplechase. Yeah. When I first looked it up online, I saw mostly horse race steeplechases. Did it start <laughs> as like horse racing or which, which was first? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know which came first. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's one of the responses I would get from people when they would you know, when I would say I did steeplechase, like I thought that was just horses. You know, <laughs> so people, you, people do it too. A, are you a jockey or? <laughs> <laughs> so this wasn't just this wasn't just a hobby for you, or, or you weren't a weekend steeplechaser, but you you got to the point where you were actually training for the Olympics. So can you kind of just share how did you get into steeplechase? It's not a super. I don't know. I I feel like a lot of people don't know what it is. So like, how did you? How did you find your way into a sport that maybe isn't as as common knowledge as as the hurdle or or just other other track events? Yeah, so so when I think about how I got into uh, running and then steeplechase more specifically, it really centered around an opportunity, um, and so I kind of just took what was in front of me. So I got into running um, by wanting to get uh, in good shape for basketball. Um, I played football the year before as a freshman. That didn't go so well. Um, I decided I would just focus on basketball, and so I went out for cross country, and just took to it right away. Um, you know, had had a lot of success. Just it just came very natural, and so I was like, "Oh, this this is fun. I'm good at it. I enjoy doing it. I'm going to keep doing that." So fast forwarding into college, it was kind of a similar story with the steeplechase, where um, I ran at the University of Nebraska, and we had a really competitive. Um, track team, you know, as a whole between sprints, jumps, throws, long distance and everything. And so making the, uh, the conference roster was pretty tough because you basically had to 
ensure that you would score score team points so finish in the top eight at the conference and the big 12 you know i was in the the big 12 at the time when i was at nebraska and it was a really competitive conference especially in distance and so you know as a as a freshman when i came in um i had improved a lot throughout the year and when it came to the to the outdoor season i was really wanting to make the conference roster and I kind of had an idea that the steeplechase might be a fun event, you know, kind of given that I had a little bit more of an athletic background playing basketball and other things, as opposed to some of the other guys on the team that had pretty much just only ever ran. And, uh, and so I decided, you know, Hey, I want to try this. I think uh, there were some other guys on the team that had done well and had, had scored at the conference meet and I was able to run with them in practice. And so it was kind of an opportunistic thing where I was like, Hey, there's a chance where I could make the team. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go do this. And, um, one of the things that you find with steeplechase when you start doing it is you, you improve a lot. The first couple times you did it, you, you, um, your first couple races, just because it's so different than a normal track race. And so, you know, over the, over the course of my first two or three times running it in that first season, I think I cut, you know, about 30 seconds off from my first race to, mm. Uh, to to the one that I ran that that got me ranked high enough in the conference to uh, to be able to make the team. So you decide, okay, I think I might want to try, you know, competing in the Olympics. And so, how much time did you have until until the trials? And like, wh- how did you actually prepare for that? Did your did your training look different than the training that you had done up to this point? Uh, what did that look like? Yeah, so that that was one thing that was actually quite different. So in, in college, you actually have three different seasons. If you're a long distance runner, you have cross country in the fall, you have indoor track, uh, kind of through the winter and the beginning of the spring, and then you have outdoor track. And so training to try and do well in each one of those events is it, it makes it tricky because the training cycles get shortened and, and compressed down. And so going into, um, going into kind of the fall, uh, 2011, you know, knowing that I had the chance I was finished with my eligibility, but still had some, some school left to finish on my degree. And so it it really worked out well to where, um, you know, I wasn't working full time yet. I was, you know, I still had a, a pretty light class load, um, but actually had the chance to come into the fall and say, okay, I want to run really well next June. And I'm not super concerned about how I compete along the way necessarily. I don't, I don't need to try and be in top racing form in, in the fall. And so I could take it slow. And um, so I, the coach that I worked with was um, a former teammate of mine who was from South Africa and his dad was coaching him. He was running post-collegiately for Saucony at the time and he was a miler. Um, but we were both uh, post-collegiate. He lived in Omaha. I lived in Lincoln. And so um, he was he was doing his dad's training program, and so I was coached all by email. But it was it was really geared towards the same thing. It was it was a plan that started in the fall and was really oriented toward running your best the next summer. You know, come come Olympic trials and and um, you know the the Olympics following that. And so, how much were you running? So um, I I don't recall exactly. It was it kind of varied. Um, we switched over to running in kilometers. So I know I was running 130 kilometers a week at kind of at the peak, which I think comes down to 75 to 80 miles a week, um, in, uh, in, in miles. So 
that was um, the most that I had ever done um, in college. I, you know, I probably ran closer to 60 to 65, but that's the kind of thing that you kind of have to slowly build up to. And so if you're racing a lot and competing a lot, um, that kind of interrupts the training. And so being able to build up, you know, have a longer build up to the season allowed me to work up into, into higher mileage, um, throughout the fall, especially. Yeah. And I imagine not only are you trying to get your mileage in, like, what are you doing to, to get better at like the hurdling aspect of all of this? Like you're not just running tons of steeplechase all day, every day. Yeah. So throughout the fall, we, we really focused on strength. Um, so I didn't, I was, I was very rarely, I don't know if I was even on the track at all throughout the fall. Um, we were doing really heavy, long, uh, long workouts, long repeats, a lot of hills. So running like a, a 300 meter hill. Um, I can, I can definitely say that that was one of the, one of the harder, um, but more, um, successful workouts that I did was, was all that hill work. It just made you so, so strong. And so the idea was to, you know, run these really long workouts that were like, you know, three by 4,000 meters with six minutes rest in between, you know, and, and doing, you know, so it was, it was really geared towards strength in the fall. And then in the spring, um, the, the interesting thing was that my coach had not coached a lot of steeplechasers. He'd done a lot of 1500 and, and 5,000 runners. Um, but he had not done a lot of steeplechase and his tactic was really just to run the same workouts, you know, to run it and train like a 1500 runner, um, but add hurdles in. And so that was one thing that was different that I did compared to college was typically in college, we would run, um, we would do things at like our race pace. Um, and so, you know, when you're running the steeplechase, you're running slower on average than you would for, you know, running the same distance. Um, but what we did differently was he would have me run, you know, these really fast workouts over hurdles. And what I found was that simulated getting super tired way better than, you know, running at race pace. Cause when you get to, you know, rest in between, it's, it's not as hard for your, for your body to recover because you're not running as fast. Mm. Um, so he was really just like, Hey, we're going to run these fast, fast repeats and we're just going to add hurdles in. And, and I think that really made a big difference for me. And so that was almost a year, uh, you said almost a year of training then, huh? Before the Olympic trials. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, you know, just short of a year, um, that, that was really geared towards, yeah, success the the next year. And, and I ran races throughout, but they were all, you know, r the focus was not to, to run necessarily my fastest time then, but, but later on in, in the, in the season. So tell me about the Olympic trials. It was, it was, um, interesting. So it was out, um, the, the year that I did, it was at, uh, Hayward field, which is a, a historic, um, uh, track and field stadium in Eugene, Oregon. So for those that don't know, Oregon is one of the premier track programs, um, like going back, uh, back into the seventies and even, even earlier than that, um, and so I'd ran there before I'd competed there before, but they, they happened to be hosting it and, you know, for the 2012 trials. Um, so it was, it was really exciting to be, you know, at that place. They've, they've actually since torn down the original bleachers and everything and built a, you know, a new modern one. So it was, it was really cool to be able to compete there with all the history of the original stadium. 
Um, but it was, it was a different level of, <laughs> of anxiety and anticipation um, for me just because I had, I'd kind of been dealing with some small injuries um, coming up to it, but I was in such good shape that it was like, you know, I'm not just going to stop now. I'm, I'm going to just kind of push through this. And um, so there, you know, and, and I knew that I needed to, you know, I was kind of on the outside um, as a contender, I, I certainly wasn't a favorite to come in, but I was ranked in the top 10 in, in the U S and obviously I needed to be in the, in the top three to finish. And so I knew that I needed to run faster than I ever had before. Um, but yet I've also got these kind of nagging injuries. And, and so there's also just a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting around, um, because, you really don't want to be up on your feet, like out sightseeing and, and, mm-hmm. and like treating it like a vacation, you know, there, you're there to, to compete. And so, um, with having multiple rounds, um, where you, you know, you run in the prelims and have to advance into the finals, which are typically a day or two apart, you just have a lot of downtime and, um, and a lot of time to think. And, and, uh, if, if you're not careful, you can, you know, you can kind of eat yourself up with, um, just, just, um, considering every single, uh, every single scenario (laughs) that, that, that could play out. Um, so that, you know, there was, it was, it was kind of a challenging time and, you know, I was, I was super glad that, um, that Bethany was, was there with me and, um, you know, we were able to kind of just, she kept me level and, and, um, and it was fun. We had been married about a year. I think we actually hit our, our one year anniversary when we were, when we were in Eugene and, um, um, but it was a lot of, it was, it was really low key, um, fr- from that standpoint in that, you know, I'm not like sitting in the stands the whole time. I'm pretty much back in the hotel, just trying to, to take it easy and, and stay off my feet. So how did the, how did the preliminary round go? How did that first round go the first day of your running? Yeah, so it went pretty well. I, I remember it was kind of rainy that day, um, which I always liked that if it, you know, if it wasn't downpouring, because um, it kept things cool. You know, it, it kind of helped with the humidity a lot of times. And so um, it, it went pretty well. I, I felt like really in control. Um, so one of the big things is you have to know what the qualifying rules are, you know, so you had to know, you know, do I need to be in the top five? Is it you know, and, and they determine those rules based on the event and how many people there are, you know, what are the rules to advance? And so, um, so, you know, I think it was, there were several heats and you had to be in the, in the top five or, uh, you know, a a next, um, I think four fastest times after that. So I think there were two, two prelim heats and you had to be top five. And then, um, from each of those heats or the next four, fastest combined. Um, so I felt really, really good and, and in control. And it was kind of like you, you've done all this training, you've done everything to this point and your body just knows what to do. You know, it, it kind of just kicks in and, and does what you've trained it to do. And, and that's how the prelims felt. Um, and I finished, you know, right in a, in a group of people, I think I was maybe sixth in my heat, but right behind the other guys. And so I got one of the the, uh, the time qualifiers without too much sweating it. Um, and then it was, you know, and then it was back to, okay, let's, let's rest up and, and, you know, try to stay off my feet. Um, but I felt, I felt really strong and really confident in, in the prelim round. 
So you do well in the first round. You play the waiting game and just have to wait to the next day for the final round. What happened in the final round? So the final round, I had one of those uh, classic terrible races where I've had them throughout my career. And some days it just it just isn't there. And I don't know that I have a, a specific reason for it, but it, you know, as as we we got up to the line, usually, um, you know, you have some nerves before the race. And then once the gun goes off, it kind of all goes away. And, you know, and then you kind of just snap into it. And for whatever reason that day, my legs, you know, I, the gun went off and, and right away, I just felt sluggish and, um, I just kind of lacked the, the pop that I, that I had. And, um, in the prelim round where I felt real in control and real, um, you know, real strong throughout and, and I finished dead last. Um, now that's, you know, dead last in the top 14 people in this, in this event. Um, and I, I ran my worst time of the season. Um, which was a pretty humbling thing, you know, when you, when you think about this stage that you're on, but I think on the, like on the flip side, it was also, you know, I've had bad races like this in my career where, you know, you've just had a rough training cycle, your legs are heavy, or, you know, it was in college and maybe I had a big, you know, test that I was studying for, or, you know, things like that, where you just have those bad races and, and really good runners have, have terrible days or, you know, you get sick or, or something like that. And so it was, it was really disappointing to have, you know, worked so long, you know, over the last year and then, you know, to have that result. And again, I, you know, I don't know what it was if I was, if I was too anxious and I, you know, wore my, wore myself out mentally or, um, you know, I hadn't done a lot of, you know, um, a lot of back-to-back races like that where you run prelims and then, and then you run again. That's not a common thing, at least for the steeplechase when you run races throughout the season um, where, you know, you run, I don't recall what day a week, uh, day of the week it was, but it was either, you know, a Wednesday and a Friday or a Thursday and Saturday or, you know, something like that where you've got a day in between. And, um, and it just, it just didn't go well. I just didn't have it that day. When was the moment that you were like, "This isn't happening"? I am not. I, there's no way that I'm going to be landing in that top three. I I think I think it was like in the first lap. It it, it, it it like I got through the first lap, and it and I mean, you get to the point when you're training so much where you know your body and you know you know you, you can read these cues and things, and it was just like, oh man, it just isn't there. My legs are just not there, and. uh yeah. So it, unfortunately it was, it was pretty early. And, and so it was, it was hard, you know, you just going around and, and being way off the pack and, and kind of realizing that it's, it's slipping away and you feel like you can't do anything to, you know, to, you know, to physically, you know, change the situation. You're kind of just in it. And, you know, that, that roughly nine minutes of the race was just, you know, it was just, uh, you show up, you, you do it, you get through it and and then move on. So what was your internal dialogue as, uh, the days and the weeks following that? Cause you just spent the last year preparing for this and didn't, didn't turn out the way you, you were hoping. Yeah, I think it's, it's really easy. I think, especially in sports, um, when you don't achieve, you know, what you, what you set out to do, or even if you do and achieve it, it's really easy to look at all the the things that you missed on, um, you know, or the, the things that you, where you came up short 
and um, you know neglect all the all the amazing things that happened um, over the course of that time. And so, I actually, it was a pretty positive. Um, you know, next couple of weeks, I was, I was obviously disappointed that I, you know, that I didn't, didn't make the ultimate goal, didn't, didn't make the team. Um, but it, you know, I, I had accomplished so much in that year that it, it just seemed like foolish to be disappointed, you know, disappointed or, you know, despondent over this, um, you know, this amazing year that I had had, um, you know, and so I, I was, you know, it was kind of a mixture. It, some days it was harder than others where it was like, man, it was right there. And I, and I missed the opportunity. And, and other times like, man, I got an amazing opportunity to run with, mm-hmm. you know, run with all these great guys and, um, and, you know, kind of see how you measure up. And I think that's very, that's a very rare situation where we get to push ourselves to our complete, you know, maximum to see exactly you know, how far we could go, how high we could, um, go in, in a specific activity. And I felt really lucky to have that chance to kind of, you know, go on this journey and, and see just how far I could do and, and be okay with like, yeah, maybe, maybe 14th in, in the Olympic trials is, is the best I can do. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to, you know, to experience that, even if it's not what you hoped it would be. Yeah. And there's something to be said too, about just the process, like the, that year, it's like, it wasn't a wasted year, you know, just to be able to kind of see what you were capable of and, and, and push yourself to, to those extreme limits. Um, so that, that was just definitely seems like a really, seems like a really healthy perspective to have taken. Cause I'm sure, uh, and a, a lot of, a lot of people in that situation, uh, it, it could have crushed them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I had so much support as well, you know, from, from friends and, and family. And, um, it, you know, I was, I was really lucky to have all those people in my corner throughout and like, you know, in an unconditional nature, like I knew that they, you know, they were not going to love me more or less, um, you know, based on how I did, they were just there to support me. And, and I think that played into it as well, um, with just, you know, like, just having the support of, of people that were, you know, they just watched me finish dead last in, in my heat. And, you know, they were there to, you know, Bethany came, you know, just comes and gives me a big hug and, and tells me how proud she was and, and things like that. So it was, it, that part of it, I think really, um, kind of cemented, um, you know, a, a part of my faith journey that was tied into this too with, you know, over the course of, of running was like, well, you know, my identity as, you know, my identity in Christ doesn't change. I'm not more or less, um, uh, you know, loved by God because of, you know, whether I do or, or what I do or I don't do, um, when it comes to running and, and competing and, and to get to like, really feel that through my family and friends afterwards, I think, you know, it kind of gave me a, a more, um, just like a, a, a humanly experience for, you know, for God's unconditional love towards me as well. Yeah. And so what did you, what'd you end up deciding afterwards? What was, what was next now that the, the, the Olympic trial chapter was over? Yeah. So leading, you know, leading up to, up to the trials, I had, um, I had graduated, you know, I finished my degree 
a couple months before the trials. And um, so we were kind of trying to decide, you know, I I had this opportunistic year to, to train and, and, you know, do the post-collegiate thing. Do I want to keep going with this? Do I want to, you know, hang it up and and move on? Um, And so I'd been talking with a couple clubs uh, about, you know, joining training groups and things like that. I'd been doing it on my own this last year and it was, um, you know, it worked out there, but financially I wouldn't have been able to do it if I wasn't in school and, and things like that. And so, um, so ultimately we decided to move to, uh, move to Austin and join the, the rogue athletic club team, which was, a an Adidas team, um, based in, in Austin. Um, and we kind of just like didn't look back. We were, we were at an opportunity where we could do this. We weren't really tied, tied down to Lincoln. And, um, you know, I had a, had a job all lined up and everything in back in Nebraska. And, and we kind of just decided, you know what, let's, let's roll the dice. If it, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we'll figure something else out. We can always, um, we can always do other stuff, but I'm probably not going to have the chance to, to compete at this level running wise. And, um, and, you know, try for, for another round at the Olympics in four years. Um, if I don't do that now, then, then I probably won't have a chance. So that was how we ended up in Austin. And so you kept running and did you, what happened after, did you, you were running full time with the team and what ended up happening with that? Yeah. So that, that, uh, that nagging injury that I had going into the trials actually proved to be a a bigger problem. Um, so I took a lot of time off after the trials, um, to try and get, get healed up, did a lot of, you know, physical therapy, things like that. Um, but it, it really just was never the same since then. And so I ran a, I ran a full, um, full season with the team. Um, I, it, it went all right. Um, training wise, I was, I was trying to work back into it, but it was, it was always tough because, you know, the same thing, um, that I felt in the trials was like, I needed to kind of have a breakthrough to the, to the next level to be able to compete, um, where I wanted to. Um, and so it, it was tough because I was, I felt like I was working really hard to kind of maintain, but you know, with that in, you know, dealing with that injury, it was limiting how hard I could train and, and what I could do. And so, um, you know, ultimately I think, I think I ended up doing about, about 18 months. So I, I eventually had surgery on my foot as well. Um, and that kind of helped things a little bit, but, um, you know, it, it's, I still never got back to, to a hundred percent. And so I think that's, you know, that's kind of how injuries are. I think we're used to thinking like, you know, if I, if I tear my ACL, I, I, you know, go get surgery and I fix it then I'm back to hundred percent. But with a lot of running injuries, you know, where it's overuse, you know, as opposed to like a, a specific event, right. Where I fell and, and broke my ankle or, or hurt my knee or something. Those overuse injuries are tough. Um, cause a lot of times you don't know exactly what's caused it and things like that. So, so yeah, ultimately I was, I ran a season and, and had a couple good races, but, um, but decided that, you know, we had our, our first, uh, our first boy at the time as well. And, uh, um, I, you know, ultimately decided after about a year and a half that it was, it was time to move on and, um, and drop it. And, and at that time I didn't really realize how big of a burden it was until I decided, um, 
you know, like, Hey, it's, it's time to call it quits. Um, that it really felt like a burden was lifted off. Yeah. Would you say that your, your competitive running career is like completely over? Do you see yourself? Oh yeah. Being, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any like marathons, 10 Ks competitive? <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I've tried a couple times and I, you know, I'm, I'm a very competitive person by nature. And so it's, it's really tough for me to do something, you know, if, if it's like a recreation or a, or a hobby, you know, I'm, I'm okay to do it for enjoyment, but you know, it's, it's kind of like all or nothing when it comes to, you know, like if I can't compete at, at my best, it's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to go out and, and run or, you know, for my health or, or do this and that. But I really don't have much desire to, you know, to do any races or, or train for anything like that. Um, it was, it was kind of like, all right, I'm ready to move on and and do something else. So can you tell me about the four minute mile? Yeah. So that, that's one of the, I think one of my favorite experiences from that year of training, because the, the four minute mile is, um, it's, it's the kind of thing that people that don't really even know about track usually have some idea of the mile run and, and the, the four minute mile. And so it's kind of this iconic thing within the sport, um, where for a really long time, people didn't think it was, it was possible, you know, until, uh, Roger Bannister broke, you know, was the first one to, to break that barrier. Um, and so, you know, that was the thing, you know, like when most people would hear that I was a runner, they would ask one of two questions. They would ask, have you ever ran a marathon or what's your mile time? Um, those are kind of the two things that people, you know, who don't have much background in running will typically ask you. Um, and so, you know, I had the, the chance to run a mile at the Kansas relays, um, during that, you know, that spring, I think I'd ran the steeplechase a, a week or two prior, um, and kind of had a gap and, um, got into this, this event where they were going to have a, a pro field, um, you know, where they were really wanting to, to run a sub four mile, um, and, and show that for the fans. Cause that's, I think it's one of the cooler things, you know, to see it happen live for, for people and, and for fans specifically. So I got into the field and, um, it w- it was really special too, because, um, a mentor of mine in the sport that I got kind of connected to relatively early on was a guy by the name of Jim Ryan. And he was a, you know, a famous, um, famous runner way back in the sixties, you know, like sports illustrated sportsman of the year, um, won a silver medal in the, in the Mexico Olympics in the 1500 was a world record holder, um, from, you know, right in Kansas, you know, he was born and raised in Kansas. Um, and so he's kind of a legend. He, he ran at KU. Um, and I got to know him and his family over, um, over the, the course of my running career, I, I worked at their running camps and, and things like that. And he was actually the starter for the event. Um, so he was there, um, and, and, you know, holding the pistol and, and was kind of the honorary starter to, you know, to run, to, uh, shoot the pistol for this, uh, this, um, professional mile field that they were pulling together. Um, and so not only that, I got, you know, I got dinner with him last night and, or, or the, um, the night prior. And we, we, we just got to talk about like tactics. It was fun to like, like talk shop, so to speak, you know, and just like have him talk, talk through the tactics. And, and, um, so he gave me, 
you know, we were kind of talking about it and, and I was not, you know, a traditional miler. It was kind of short for me. And so I didn't have the, the top end speed of a lot of these guys. And so, so we're talking, um, kind of talking through it. And he said, well, I think, you know, if you're depending on where you're at, I think about 600 meters, you should with, with 600 meters left in the race, you should really make your move because those other guys are, you know, if you wait until the last 400, they're going to be, um, you know, they, they may get away from you. So, um, so the race starts and, you know, he, he starts off the race the next day. Um, and I felt in, you know, it was, it was so fun. You know, I kind of mentioned before, like when you're in really good shape, it doesn't really feel like you're moving that much faster. And so, you know, as, a, as we're going by, you know, we hit the first lap in 59 seconds. And then at the half mile, we're, you know, right around two minutes or just under, and it kind of just felt like we were cruising along. Um, and, uh, and so sure enough, there, there was a rabbit pacing us and, and kind of took us through the first thousand, thousand meters or so. And that's the point where you've got about, about 600 left. And so, so I made a big move, um, to really keep the race fast kind of at that point where, cause that's the time where, you know, the rabbit, the pacer kind of falls off and sometimes the race slows down at that point. And so I kind of just took advantage of that and, um, and got some momentum and then came into the last lap at about three minutes even. Um, and, uh, ultimately I didn't end up winning the race, um, but I accomplished the goal and, and ran, uh, and ran 358 for the mile. Um, so that was, that was, you know, I, I only ever ran one, one sub four miles. So, um, but, uh, but all it takes is, is doing it once, um, you know, to get that kind of sub four minute mile badge, um, <laughs> so to speak, which that's one of those things that they can't take, you know, you can't take it away from you, right. Is, you know, being able to do something like that. I think, I think I was something like the 481st American. I, I might have to go check, but it's, it's like a very small group of people that have, you know, that have accomplished this over, over time. So that, that's one of my favorite kind of non steeplechase, um, running stories that, that came out of this season. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I mean, you just talking about, you know, how you felt like so fluid and so not even like really overexerting yourself. It, it reminds me of like, I saw the footage of the Kenyan runner who broke the two hour marathon last year or the year before, and you're watching the footage of him. It looks like he's just like, taking a stroll around the park like he doesn't look like he's exerting himself at all yeah um and it's just it's i think it's always just amazing to watch just people at the at that at that top level of of just human performance i think it's really cool yeah it was it was really fun because there there was a lot of guys you know a lot of really good guys in that field and and i ended up finishing third um and my my training partner you know the guy whose dad was was coaching us he he won it and then there was a guy in between and then and then me and then you know i was able to beat a lot of uh you know there were i think there were two two guys in there that had been in the the previous olympics for for different events and so so it was always fun to you know to get in there and and beat someone but like i said you know everybody very rarely are people on top of their game at, at you know 10 out of 10 races and so you know sometimes you you know it's cool to say hey i beat i beat nick simmons uh you know in a in a mile one time and um even if maybe he wasn't at the the top of his training at that time but uh but yeah well david thank you so much uh for sharing your experience with running and and training for the olympics and just how you kind of even see see your faith and see god and his love and and his acceptance uh and your experiences there um this has been a really fun conversation 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Next week, we'll be hearing from Jamie Bennett as he interviews Mark McKnight. Thank you for listening.